Welcome to the Camp Camisol Family Reunion Podcast. One of the best things, in my opinion, about Camp Camisol is the campfire talks. So imagine with me a perfect night. The skies are clear. The beautiful sunny day is given way to dusk as the campers make their way to the campfire circle. Our maintenance team has built a majestic fire that throws off light and heat as the air turns from hot to cool, and as the stars begin to blink into view, our focus turns to the campfire speaker. Welcome everyone to our Tuesday night campfire. We are excited for the opportunity we have to take a look at God's word. Last night, which would have been Monday night, we had Bigfoot up and he would have been talking to us about with with the big question of do we smell like god or do we smell like the world and for the campers that were out, that would be out on on tuesday i would really hope and i'd be challenging them to have wrestled with that and really spend some time thinking about what it is that they smell like and today we're going to be carrying on kind of that whole aspect of what what it means to have christ live in us and what it means to smell like god what smell is oozing out of us And that's a very appropriate question to ask out of camp because even by Tuesday, there are some very unique smells that we would be having in the cabins and throughout the camp. There are some campers that are going to be out there that they didn't even know they brought a suitcase of clothes. And by Tuesday, it's evident to everybody else that they aren't aware of that suitcase. So the whole idea of smell is a very real concept and something that we can really think about what it is that we're smelling like. Are we smelling like the world, or are we allowing Jesus Christ to be what people smell when they look at us? And for today's campfire, we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 to 21. And in this section of Galatians, we read about justification. And justification is a big word, which really just means in the simplest form, is just as if I never sinned. It is the blood of Jesus who through his death paid the price for everyone's sin and all we need to do is accept his work on the cross and then he sees us justified just as if we'd never sinned it is a hundred percent about recognizing the price that jesus paid for us the love that jesus shows to us and it's not because we deserve it as romans chapter 5 verse 8 says that god showed his great love for us by sending christ to die while we were still sinners while we were living in rebellion to god God sent his son. God pursued us when we were rejecting him. So let's begin by reading Galatians 2, verses 15 to 16. 
And it says this, You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Paul begins a statement with something that's kind of confusing. He says in verse 15 that we ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. And that can be kind of an off-putting remark. And you might be sitting here wondering, what in the world is Paul talking about? And the reality is the word sinners that Paul uses is used in a limited sense. What Paul doesn't mean is that Jews aren't sinners, that only Gentiles are. The Bible is very clear that everyone is a sinner. It means that Peter and Paul, they grew up following the Jewish laws and customs. They would be called kosher Jews. And they're not guilty of neglecting some of the, the rules on what they can eat and some of their society laws that they had. In Paul's day, Christianity was very much part of their Jewish life. And for a Jewish person, their Jewish life would have laws. Their, their faith life would have some laws. But those all blended together in a very different way than we ex often experience today. Gentiles would have been all in the category of sinners because they didn't follow the rules of the Jewish lifestyle. So what Paul is saying in the first part of verse 15 is that he and Peter were brought up as law-keeping Jews, not as law-neglecting Gentiles. And both he and Peter have come to know that no one can be right before God by keeping the law. God has taken the whole concept of breaking the law and paying the price sent his son to die so that we can be justified, just as if we'd never sinned. Paul is saying that salvation doesn't come from keeping the Jewish law. And we see a similar attitude confronted by John the Baptist in Matthew 3. It says, but when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented by your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe or we're destined by Abraham. That means nothing, or descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. See, they presumed that they were good because of their ancestors, because of their mom and dad, because of their grandfathers, because of uh, their, their lineage. And that's not how we're saved. And this still happens today in our churches. Some of you that are around this campfire, you might be sitting here thinking that you're good enough because of your parents or because of your grandparents. And the reality is we all have to make that decision for ourselves. You decide if you're going to live your life for God or not. You're not saved because of your parents, your grandparents, or anyone else. You're only saved if you personally accept the work of Jesus on the cross. The heart of the gospel message is that we're sinful people and that we can't do it on our own. It doesn't matter our, what our parents have done or our grandparents. We needed and we continue to need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus. And this is what Paul says in verse 16. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Question for us today, are we truly convinced that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only reason that we can be made right in God's eyes? Are we truly convinced that it's not about who we are or what we do? And then this is typically a point where I'd ask the campers and ask, what are some of the ways that people think they can go to heaven? I'd encourage you to think about that for a second. What are some of the ways that people think that they're justified before God? 
whether it's based on their works, their actions, or their parents, or whatever else. Paul understands that it's not Jewish heritage. It was not his strict observance to the law that allowed him to stand before God. It was his faith in Jesus. There is only one thing that can deal with the problem of sin in our world and in our lives. That's the blood of Jesus. We can pretend all we want to be a Christian, but are we really Christ followers? I remember a number of years ago, I was out at camp on the West Coast. There was a camp on the ocean, and they had sailboats. And they gave us the option to be able to go out and take these sailboats out. And they asked us, do you guys know how to sail? I'd never been on a sailboat before, but I was with a buddy of mine who was recently in Mexico. And he took a course that actually certified him as a sailing instructor. He had a photographic memory, but he'd never actually been on a sailboat. So he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know how to do it. I'm certified. So we get out there. We have no idea what we're doing. And we're getting further and further and further from the shore because we didn't know what we were doing. He'd nailed the test, but he'd never done it before. He didn't know what it meant to actually be a sailor. And for many of us, we may know what it's like to be a Christian, but we're not living our lives for God, and we don't know the intimacy of what it means to have Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Paul then says this, So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul states that standing before God is based on his belief and faith in Jesus Christ. We often look at the word faith as a one-time use. And I know many people will use the example of you sit in a chair and that's a demonstration of faith. And it is, but staying seated in the chair is just as much a demonstration of faith as the initial sitting down. If you didn't think the chair was going to continue holding you up, you'd get up and out of that chair right away. And our faith with Jesus is an we take, we, it's a one-time event, but it's a continuation. It's a lifestyle, and it will end up dictating and impacting every aspect of our life. We must continue to return to the truth of the gospel again and again. We must feed upon it in every day. We must continually remind ourselves of the truth of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Paul goes on to comment of what it looks like to live a gospel-shaped life, to have the gospel transform us in our living. Paul uses his own life as an example of what the gospel-rooted living looks like. And he sums it up with a great and powerful verse, Galatians 2.20. and says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We're going to get to that in a few moments. But first, let's talk about, um, does Christ lead us to sin? It says this in Galatians 2.17 to 18, carrying on. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we're found guilty because we've abandoned the law. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I'm a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. We read many times in the scripture that Paul comes under fire for spending time with the Gentiles. 1 Corinthians 9 says, When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. And that is the key point. Paul says he does not ignore the law of God. He says, I obey the law of Christ. Paul is talking about the Jewish law that he ignores, not the law of Christ. Paul claims that he lives with the Gentiles, not following the Jewish custom to help bring more people to faith in Christ Jesus. Paul wasn't living in sin or disobeying God. He was not following Jewish customs. And that helped him to reach the Gentile people. Paul and I would 100% say that Christ does not cause us to sin. Who else has, who else had accusation like this come against them. Jesus did. 
Jesus was accused of ignoring some of the Jewish laws. He was even called the friend of sinners. And I think he liked that. Mark 2, 15 and 16 says, Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples into his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There are many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? And Jesus' response was, I've come to call sinners, not those who think they're already good enough. Paul is doing the same thing. He's calling Gentiles into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Paul recognized that the law was something that brought him down. If following the law was able to bring someone salvation, then Paul may have been a candidate. He said in Philippians 3, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. It's an awkward statement. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one, a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. As for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. He had followed the law. He had worked hard to follow the law. And what does Paul say in the next few verses? He says that he met Christ, and that changed everything. Verse 19 to 20 says, For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me, so I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What the law could not do, Christ has done for us. Rule keeping produces guilt and it leaves us dead in the road. But when Christ enters, we find new life. To be alive to God means that we no longer live for ourselves, but instead we live for God's glory. Once you come to Christ, you're a brand new person. You can never go back to the old person you used to be. You can try, but you won't like it. You won't be happy. You won't be satisfied. Taking up our cross and following God is, is an easy thing to talk about, and it's a phrase that we like to say. But we, do we understand the meaning behind those words? What does it mean to pick up our cross daily and follow God? It means to die to our old self each and every day. Live for Christ. Live like Christ is in me. Paul did. We all should be prepared to experience persecution, mistreatment for the sake of the gospel. There's a price to pay for the gospel ministry, and if we're not prepared to pay that price, then we are unlikely to see the gospel advance through our lives. We don't like to talk about the cost because it is a, there is a big cost. And we think that will turn people away from God. But really, the cost is what demonstrates how real it is for us. If we want to see the gospel go forward, it's going to require us to shoulder our cross and to follow him and follow Jesus. God works powerfully in people who surrender all to follow him. Surrender and shouldering your cross doesn't necessarily mean dying for the gospel, but it might. Would you be willing? Would I be willing? crucified with Christ so that I might live for him. At this point in our talk, there's a video that I would show, and it's about Matt Chandler talking about what it means to be crucified with Christ. And then after the video, we'd come back and we'd, take it, we'd say, what does it look like? What does it mean that Christ lives in me? How do we begin to live, our, live out our lives having our old self having been crucified so that it's no longer us who lives, but Christ who lives in us? How do we know what God wants us to do? It's a change in perspective, a change in priorities. No longer do we smell like the world, pursuing the things the world will say bring purpose and meaning. 
but we begin to pursue things of God. We need to start with the needs right in front of us, having our eyes open around us. There are people in our life that need us. Who is God asking you to accept here at camp? Who is it that God's asking you to reach out and to, to be a friend to somebody who maybe feels alone, who maybe came here not knowing anybody? How is he asking you to stand up for holiness in your cabin when the conversation gets a little questionable? Who is God asking you to pray for, to love, with no expectation, no strings, just being the hands, the feet, and the voice of Jesus in their lives? We need to evaluate our lives and see if there are some areas of passion or interest growing inside us. As we accept Christ, we are a new creation. We will talk about that later in the week. But being a new creation is what God is wanting to do through you. If God has placed a passion or interest in your heart, pursue it, explore it. Maybe it's to work with the homeless, maybe with refugees or a new Canadian group. If God has placed a dream in your heart, commit it to him. And look for the doors to open, the opportunities that come. And then in faithful obedience, step out. You also need to listen to what others say about our giftedness. And this makes an assumption. It makes an assumption that you have close godly relationships with others. Let those godly people speak into your life and ask them how, where they see your strengths and your potential and your opportunities. Ask your counselor and have a conversation with them this week about how they see your giftedness and the way that. Um, you can use that for the glory of God. When you get back into the city, meet with your youth pastor. Talk with your youth pastor about how you can get involved and how you can serve the church and the gospel of Christ in the context where you live. We also need to be open to guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit. This is a big one, one that probably makes us nervous. How does God speak? First of all, you need to daily yield your life to the Spirit, asking Him to fill you and to guide you, to direct you. He'll speak to you through his word, through others, through open and closed doors, through dreams and visions, and on and on. It's not a one-way approach, and he may speak to you different ways during different seasons. If you have a close friend, someone you spend a lot of time with, you begin to know how they think, how they respond in situations. You finish each other's sentences. Many of you are thinking of the person right now that you can finish each other's sentences, and you know how they're going to respond in every situation. That comes from spending time with them. And the same is true with our relationship with God. The more we spend time with him, the more we will begin to understand his heart, what he wants from us, how he wants to use us for his glory. When we live our lives as an outpouring to God, we recognize the grace and love that we have undeservedly. It's received through Jesus Christ. We will no longer live for ourselves, but Christ will live in and through us. Living a life of trust and faith in Christ, our priorities will change. Our purpose will change. The way we see and treat people will change because we no longer see them through a broken, fallen human lens, but we'll begin to see them through the eyes of Christ. We should have great confidence in the fact that resurrection awaits us on the other side of every experience of living that crucified life. I've been crucified with Christ, but that doesn't mean that we stop living. That only means that Christ lives in us. His resurrected life takes over our earthly life. So while we may end up dying to what the world holds dear, we will nevertheless live to the glory of God. For the same one who raised Jesus from the grave will raise us up as we give up our earthly lives in service of him. This passage concludes saying, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die.
Paul concludes this passage saying, if salvation was available by keeping the law, then Christ died for no reason. He didn't die for no reason. He died for each and every one of us. And all who has ever lived and all who will ever live for our families, for our neighbors, our friends, our acquaintances, our, the people in our cabin, whether we knew them when we came or not, he even came to die for our enemies and those who we have never met. He also died for you and he died for me. He died for each and every one of us. As I said earlier, Romans 5, 8 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we didn't deserve it, and we never will, we never have deserved his love and his grace, but he freely gives it. All he asks is to believe, to receive him as Lord and Savior of our lives. And that as we do this, as we live our life for the glory of God, it'll bring a smile to Jesus' face. If we truly wrap our life around the life of Christ, if Jesus truly lives within us, then the Christ who is in us will do what Christ did in us, his earthly life. He loved others and he gave himself for others. We too will do the same when Christ lives in us. We will love others and we'll give ourselves for others. If that's a new experience for us today, let's begin this week out of camp doing this. And then may it be an outpouring of our lives going forward. Christ lives in us. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this week. We thank you for the ways that you're at work. We thank you for the truth that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And Father, I pray for all of us that we will begin to reflect your goodness and your glory in greater and greater ways. That we will see the opportunities to be your hands, feet, and voice. And that we will live our lives for the glory of God each and every day. For those that have come to camp that are feeling alone, are feeling worthless, are feeling like nobody loves them or that they can't do anything right, may they see that you love them and that they, that you are, they are made right in your eyes as they accept you as their Lord and Savior. Father, we give this week to you and ask you to be glorified through it. May you minister to our hearts and to our souls, and may you be glorified through all that takes place. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just see. So if, um, I don't think you even introduced yourself, really. You're right, I probably didn't. <laughs> Which is totally fine, because I introduce you anyway um, okay. at the beginning of the podcast. But um, at this point, so we'll, I'll, just with the first one, if you can introduce yourself, tell us who you're married to, who your kids are, um, and then kind of what is your role at Camp Camisol. And please remember to give me your camp name. Okay. So, do you want my real name or just camping? Both. So, you want a little bit about what I do in Calgary and at camp? Yep. Okay. And, that, and the, you have the question figured out, so I just can respond anytime? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I'm just trying to get my head around this. No, it's all, all right. good. It's all good. Yeah. So, my name is Aaron Bombernard. Camp name is Rocket. In Calgary here, I am married to my beautiful wife of 15 years, Carly, and we have two boys, 13 and 11-year-old 
pretty much anyways, Owen and Dylan, and they are amazing boys. In Calgary here, I am a pastor at Harvest Hills Alliance Church, and I've been here for about seven years. And at camp, I'm a director for week seven. It's a junior high week, and I've been a director for a number of years, but involved in camp for many. Nice. Excellent. How did you get involved at Camp Camisol? Um, I was born involved in Camp Camisol in many ways. I believe the story goes along. My dad was supposed to be doing a camp update at First Alliance the night my mom went into labor, or there's something connected with that, but um, both my parents have been very involved at camp, and I grew up going out to Camisol every summer of my life, and both my parents have been directors. Mom, my dad's been chairman of the board, and camp was just kind of in my DNA and uh, I grew up out there and had some very impactful experiences with God and I think some of the the ways he shaped me has been a result of uh, the ministry out of Camisol and I I think that for whatever reason God has placed his hand upon the Wipers Valley and touched my life and many others and I love to be able to go back out and continue to serve and be a part of what God is doing. Excellent. Um, yeah, give me sort of the pathway to your involvement, like camper. Yeah, so I would, those. I've been involved in every aspect of Camisol. I started as a grade three camper and went all the way up to grade 12. When I was 16, I became a CIT of Gummies Week, and I did that for three years. And then I moved into program on my dad's week, which was at the time, I can't remember if it was week seven or eight. I, no, actually it was week one, I think at the time, trying to think it through and uh, did program the senior high week. And then we split the senior high week into two. And uh, a few of us went to week seven and a few went to week eight. And that kind of began the two different weeks. And then over time, Based on demographics of campers, week seven was transitioned into a junior high week. And then at that point is when I took over directing it. Wow. And then you've also been a board member? Yeah, I've been a board member now for a little while. Uh, I think it was Stu Swanson got me involved in that. And the two of us joined the board, I think, at the same time. And I remember my first board meeting. It was in the basement at First Alliance on Glenmore Trail and been involved in the board for many years and it's been a privilege to be able to serve in that capacity and and help camp get prepared for summer ministry love it all right so why are you still involved in camp camisole after all these years uh, i've heard it said by many people um see where god's god's working and join the ride and mm. god is working at camp camisole and as i said previously uh, God has chosen to have his stamp on the Wipers Valley. It's a simple piece of land, and many people would look at it and say, why in the world is a camp out there? But uh, it has been said that that parcel of land is holy land, and God has placed his spirit upon it, and he uses that in a way where our distractions are removed, where um, people are out there because they love to serve campers and to help them have an encounter with Jesus. And I, I just love being a part of what God is doing in people's lives. 
and I've met great friends out there. I've served with great friends out there. Uh, met some great campers, watched them grow up and served with some of the campers uh, now. And it's just like, it's a great experience of seeing the body of Christ out there. There's very few places where in one serve, anybody can be a part of it. And every there's different needs required and everybody is able to use their gifts for the glory of God. Each week's a little bit different, which is, I think, an, a cool aspect because it's a reflection of the giftings that God places out there. So it's just, it's great being a part of God, uh, God being at work. I love that. So do you have any camp memories or great spiritual moments that you have had at camp or that um, you recall from a camper's perspective? Uh, yes. Uh, many different experiences at a camp. And over the years, uh, there's some that I look back on and continue to be reminded of. I remember when I was a camper in high school, uh, being on the small playing field and just kind of reflecting on my own life and what it, what it was that I was doing and wondering if God had more greater things in store for me. And there was a very significant moment that I had with God on that playing field, which led me into full-time vocational ministry. Uh, that was very instrumental in my, in my own journey. I, I love Friday night campfires. Uh, there are some, there's some, just something so incredible about giving people an opportunity to just tell their story. And you can't really downplay the importance of that in their life. And it's a place where over the years has been a safe place. And you may hear the simple stories and stories that people may, may think are irrelevant. I would disagree with that. And you hear people as struggling and expressing great pains and great tragedies and great healings and you get the gamut out there and it's a great opportunity for people to share in a way that is not common in our culture love that um can you give any thanks or encouragement for people who helped your spiritual walk while out at camp oh I oh, there are many people. I remember um, the directors that were out there my week. First director I ever had was Alan Pohl. Uh, Flag was his camp name, I believe. Oh, nice. And uh, I, I remember him out there. I remember a guy named Randy, and he was a counselor for me a number of years. And um, I, I got out there a day early because my mom was out there, I think directing or program one of the two. I'm not a hundred percent. And he had never been out there before. So I remember showing him around, but it was a great opportunity uh, to get to know him a little bit more. I had the same counselor for uh, a number of years and um, he, he was really, uh, he was very patient with us. Um, the way that he put up with us for so many years, but he was a great man who saw me through high school and might have even been longer than that, but he, he was very patient with us. I, I think just Gummy as well and serving with, with him as my first director when I was volunteering. And he's our current longest serving volunteer out of Camisol and has been there for 
many years. So there are so many people over the years that have been very instrumental. My parents um, serving alongside Keith Lee Haven as well has been uh, joy for me. And just it's something that we look forward to every year for many years. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, it is. It's, I find it so cool to mention these different people because um, Camp Camisole has this crazy legacy of intergenerational leadership um, and mentoring that just pours down through the years. Yeah. What is significant or unique about Camp Camisole compared to other camps? Well, I have one of my roles on the board is I have the privilege of going out almost every week of the summer and thanking the staff that are there. And something that I say uh, every, every time I'm out there is that one of the unique aspects of Camisole is it's all volunteer based. And you can easily get into the pros and cons of paid staff for the summer or volunteer based for the summer. That's not the purpose. I think a beautiful aspect of the volunteer based is you have uh, between 30 and 37 people showing up on Saturday and they go hard and they bring their creativity, they bring their experience, they bring their uh, newness, they bring so much out there and they're all there sacrificing to be there, whether they've took vacation time, time away from family, friends, things that they could be doing for themselves, but they're there because they want the campers to have an encounter with Jesus and as a result, campers have an encounter with Jesus. So just the selfless aspect of having the volunteers come out and um, yeah, I think that's a very unique aspect to Camisol and one that is so beneficial to the campers and to each individual week. Nice. So why should our listeners continue to support Camp Camisol? Well, it's kind of what I said at the beginning is, you show up where God is at work and you join where his spirit is. So as um, God is at work at a camisole, supporting camp financially will enable him to continue to have uh, his hand upon the wipers and us to be able to see countless more people come to faith in Jesus, rededications to lives, people called into full-time vocational ministry. Uh, many of our pastors in the local Alliance churches have had significant uh, encounters or even salvations found out at Camp Camisole. And the legacy that God has chosen to use through Camisole is significant. And I, I, I know that any financial gift to Camisole is allowing God to continue to use that parcel of land for his glory and he will. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Camp Camisole Family Reunion Podcast. If this episode has inspired you, please share it with your friends. Please continue to pray for the ministry of Camp Camisol, and the best way to support us financially is through setting up a monthly donation on canadahelps.ca. Thank you for listening.